So welcome to the Extra Innings Podcast. I'm here this month with Dr. Wellam, who is in town teaching for Cornerstone U this morning, and he's going to be teaching on Sunday morning, and uh, thanks for being with us this weekend. We're going to talk about uh, some Bible reading, some tricky sections of the Old Testament. We're going to talk about some tough topics we have to deal with as Christians as we've been doing a Heart for Scripture and doing our Bible reading plans, and uh, also hopefully encourage you to continue reading and meditating on God's Word. And before we dive into all that, Dr. Wellam, last month we made the pastors pick a plague from the Old Testament, from uh, what happened to Egypt and Exodus there. So we want to bring you into that and give you an opportunity to pick a plague. So if you had to pick one of the plagues that the Egyptians had to endure, which plague would you pick and why? Well, that's an awfully hard question, right? Because you, you, you eliminated the uh, the tenth one, right? So yeah, we said that wasn't an option for them. Yeah, it would have been, been very interesting to uh, to see the darkness, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, I lived in South Dakota for a while, and at nighttime you don't have as many lights out, and it's really, really dark. But to see what that uh, would have been like uh, to have you know light and then total darkness, pitch dark, not being able to even almost see your hand in front of you or so. So that would have been interesting. All of them would have been uh, horrendous to live under, but yes. that would have been interesting to see. Just a total darkness. So you pick that one. I'll pick that one. You're not afraid <laughs> of the dark. I'm not afraid of the dark, but <laughs> then maybe I could identify you know, with people that don't have sight or something like yeah, that. So. Oh, that's good. Well, you're not alone in picking the darkness. We had several of those, but we weren't as compassionate as you that we could relate to people who live in darkness. So oh, I just don't, I'm not sure I'd want frogs and, and everything else coming up that would... Or the blood of the Nile would, would be very uh, smell and. Yeah, I don't think anybody picked the flies or the gnats. You know, <laughs> nobody wants those all no. over you. So, so uh, just a little bit of personal stuff before we dive into some of the trickier topics in our Bible reading. When did you become a Christian? Well, I was raised in a Christian home, but obviously that doesn't make you a Christian. Yeah. So um, I would take my conversion back to around sixteen. So, in my life, that was uh, nineteen eighty-one. Or so and uh, but I I had been taught well in my uh, from my family my parents uh, went to a solid church that was preached God's word and so I knew a lot but uh, the Lord had to bring me to a place where I realized that I myself was a sinner I can't stand uh, with my parents right I have to stand before God that I needed a savior and so that was really the moment in my life where I truly was converted and then began to really follow the Lord seriously as as a Christian and not just sort of one growing up in the church. Yeah, and did you grow up in that Christian family? Did you grow up reading the Bible from a young age? Or when did you first really capture a vision for God's Word? Well, certainly with my parents, they would have had uh, Bible reading and and uh, the local church. We had services, you know, morning Sunday morning, Sunday night, and, and your kids' groups and youth groups and everything else. So scripture was taught, and that was such a foundation in my life. But for, for my own self, I mean, it was after I was converted that it became serious of spending time, uh, even you know, journaling, uh, spending time in scripture, listening to sermons. Uh, that became something that I started then and I've continued uh, you know, now it's often podcasts and this type of thing, but uh, listening to my pastor's sermons, going through the study of Romans and picking up things. So hearing God's word, reading God's word. And uh, our church always encouraged 
uh, a daily or a, a reading through the scripture once a year. Hmm. And so every, you know, end of December or 1st of January, there was always Bible study uh, schedules put out and that type of thing. But then I took that seriously, uh, you know, after I was converted. Do you think it's helpful for, because we've done this as a church, we're doing that this year, encouraging people to read through the scriptures. Would you encourage Christians to do that every year, every so many years? Or why do you think that's important for Christians to do well, that? It's, it's absolutely important. Uh, and the more one can read scripture over and over and over again, the better. Mm. So I would say we should be striving minimally once a year, right? Um, I still follow today Murray McShane's uh, program where you have once a year Old Testament, twice a year New Testament, you go through the Psalms uh, twice, and and that's helpful. But it's so important because um, to know what scripture saying as you read later scripture you remember what earlier scripture said you get a feel for what the scripture is saying you need the whole canon you don't just uh, take parts of it and you then connect the pieces together it's so crucial to get how the whole story of scripture fits and you're not going to get that if you're just reading isolated sections and you'll also um, as you read all of scripture as you hear messages as you hear things in the society and type of thing, you'll also have an ear to be able to say, oh, that doesn't sound right, or be able to compare it to, okay, this is what God's word says, but that's that's a bit off, right? You will never be able to do that unless you're constantly immersing yourself in, in, in the word of God. Yeah, so how many times do you think you've read through the Bible? Oh, Probably, yeah, I mean, you know, 20, 30 times wow, or so. That's great. But, uh, and then, of course, you pick up things all the time, right? So yeah. you think of a, a mystery novel, um, you know, the first time through, uh, you get the main point, but uh, good authors, and of course, God is the best author, <laughs> sets you up for things that uh, come later, right? And you miss that the first time through. So it's just so foundational to read scripture over and over and over again. Yeah. So getting to a couple topics. So we're reading through the Bible together as a church. A number of folks in, in the church are doing that this year. And uh, the end of April, we're, we're hitting uh, Joshua, mm-hmm. getting into Judges, and hit in the, the conquest Israel, going into the Promised Land. And several folks have asked uh, some questions about texts where God calls his people to conquest, to go in and to conquer these other people mm-hmm. and to kill them and to wipe out even women and children. And, and it's it's hard sections mm-hmm. to read at times, even personally. Yeah. Uh, I was reading one during a devotion one morning, one of those sections, and just my heart kind of sank as I read it. Just thought, Lord, even, even the children, you know, like yeah. even the children. And I know one person mentioned to me recently just uh, two temptations she experienced reading it. One was just tempted to unbelief. Just go, where does this fit into the Lord that I know? And her second temptation, when she said this, I know this isn't true, but I'm tempted to think, oh, it's different in the New Testament than it was the Old Testament. But she goes, I know God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, day, and forever. And so as people hit these sections they're going to be reading, how would you equip us to read through those sections and interpret them in light of, the gospel and right. Christ coming right. and, and our understanding of who God is. Yeah, I mean, great, great question. Difficult issues. Um, you have to place it in terms of what we'd say the entire Bible storyline. Um, so, I mean, as you work through, before you get to Joshua and Judges, you've 
got to go back to Genesis. And of course, we see there that God makes a, a good world, and mm -hmm. it's uh, you know it's to according to His intent that Adam and Eve are placed in a garden that is to be expanded to the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, uh, and of course, the warning that comes, the command that's given to Adam in, in Genesis 2, uh, really a test, I think, that uh, uh, he is to test his obedience. God demands from him you know, wholehearted devotion and obedience. But if one violates uh, his command, God's command, uh, he dies, right? And, and death involves both uh, spiritual and, and physical reality. And of course, in Genesis 3, where you have sin, occurring, uh, sin is no minor thing. And we often, I mean, that's going to be crucial to have the biblical category and the frame framework to understand what judgment is, because mm -hmm. we have to first see that in Genesis 3, sin is presented as a revolt against God, so that the entire creation order is turned upside down. God is Lord over humans, and all humans are, are over creation, but now the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, and they then try to usurp the place of God. They want to know what God knows, and uh, they sin against him. And, and of course, we have to remember that sin before God is, is, is serious, that God has all glory to himself, that sin is, uh, again, not just him overlooking it. Judgment must ensue. And this, any, any kind of sin against God ultimately brings a final judgment that is permanent. And that permanency of final judgment isn't just what some people think, you know, you're just annihilated. I mean, this is, no, this is, this is forever. Uh, eternal conscious punishment that results in a place called hell, right? And so that's final judgment. So these other kinds of judgments are in some sense nothing compared to what sin deserves in its, its full force. So as we work from Genesis 3, we do have the message of the gospel, uh, with the promise of a coming redeemer that's picked up through Noah and through Abraham. And so obviously God is intent on bringing about salvation uh, for his people through a Messiah. So all of that gracious work runs all the way from mm -hmm. the, the fall. I mean, God did not have to save anyone. All we deserve is judgment but he has promised to bring a redeemer. But as you work through uh, Genesis 3 on, we do have uh, two, two kingdoms. Uh, we have those who uh, honor God, and that's picked up in um, you know, people like Seth and like Noah and Abraham and so on, and we also have those who stand opposed. And mm. at every point from Genesis 4 and all the way particularly with the flood to you, you have a, a horrendous situation where sin is so bad, right? Mm. Uh, you know, Genesis 6 picks up sin's expanse through the earth so bad that God wipes away the entire human race, and I take it to be a global flood uh, in this case, that all humanity is wiped out except one man and one family. Now that's judgment, right? Mm. And of course that shows you the serious nature of, of human sin but he preserves, he preserves Noah. And of course he makes the Noahic covenant that uh, he's not gonna do this again in the sense of wiping away hmm. humanity and keep starting over again, but he's gonna preserve humanity. But the flood is not only a historical event, but it points forward to ultimately a final judgment to come. So that even as the Noahic covenant will continue seed time and harvest, 
there is going to come an end where there will be an accounting of all things. So we have to keep in mind the judgment theme continues. Hmm. Yet as God works through the nations of Israel, through Abraham, through Israel, and so on, right? Uh, he is bringing salvation. But even though he's not going to bring a flood situation again, he still will judge human sin. Uh, that ultimately will show itself in a final judgment. Now, that's the context I think you yeah. need to understand what's going on here. So even all the way back into the Abrahamic uh, covenant in Genesis 15, God is saying to Abraham, uh, as a covenant is made with him, you will, your ancestors will be 400 years in, in slavery in Egypt. They will come out. And he mentions in Genesis 15 that the sin of the Amorites, that's picking up the Canaanites, that's the people of the land that Joshua goes into and Judges deals with, uh, has not reached its full measure. Hmm. There's a sense in which what's being said here is that sin, even though um, um, you know God has wiped everyone away in the flood, is that the human heart has not changed, that God will still be gracious, but he delays, but he will bring judgment, even temporary judgments and final judgments. And the sin of the people uh, has not gone away. Uh, he's redeeming a people, but the fallenness of this world is still with us on every hand, and God will hold people to account. So we come to then the nation of Israel who experienced uh, bondage themselves under Pharaoh. God delivers them and is going to bring his promises to pass to bring forth Messiah. I mean, mm. Israel's purpose is multiple, but it's ultimately through them will come uh, the Messiah to, to come, Christ will come. Uh, yet, as they go into the land, uh, God is warning them uh, over and over again that those in the land uh, are very, very wicked, right? Hmm. We see this you know, earlier in Sodom, we see this earlier or later in, in the land. Uh, Leviticus 18 warns the nation hmm. um, about sexual aberrations. He says, this is what the nations are doing. You must not do it. And when you read what they're doing, you realize these aren't just innocent people. Hmm. They may be nice, right? Uh, you know, Non-Christians are often nice. And, and if we're not redeemed by Christ, obviously we can be nice. We're image bearers. Yet they were uh, committing every kind of sexual aberration. They were even sacrificing their children. They were doing all these things. And God forbid this of the nation of Israel. And what is Israel then? Israel is functioning as a nation under God at that point in time to bring judgment upon those nations, right? So that he's holding them accountable. He's been very patient, right? All the way back to Abraham, their sin has not reached its full measure. But in the end, we have to view these judgments and the serious nature of these judgments no different than we've seen in Genesis 3 or no different in the flood or no different. God is saying sin uh, will not be tolerated. I will bring judgment and it will affect entire communities, his judgment on those people. So that's how Israel is functioning. And of course, that's to preserve Israel to keep them so that they don't go the way of the nations and the Messiah will come. So there's a redemptive purpose. Uh, in all of this as well. The flip side also we have to remember is God hasn't done this through the nation of Israel simply to be, I'm on Israel's side and I'm going to pick on that the, the other people. No, um, when Israel sins, mm -hmm. 
God also brings judgment upon them, right? So eventually they are removed in exile. They are brought under judgment of the covenant and so on, right? So God is showing constantly he stands against sin. He uses Israel as a means by which he brings about his judgment. It's not like a flood judgment. I mean, in some sense, it's a lot less, right? Yet, any kind of judgment against sin is, is serious, and it ultimately results in death, right? Yeah. Um, and Israel, too, is also under the same demand. And through all of that, we finally have a Redeemer to come, who we have to remember that uh, um, if we think that God's execution of judgment through nations is serious, eventually we have to see this in light of the cross, because what's necessary to save us from our sin is not just, you know, that kind of execution against, you know, just fallen people, but we need the Son of God to bear our sin, to pay our price, to be raised from the dead in order for us to be justified. So that shows you how desperate sin is. And then there's final judgment, right? So themes, you know, God hasn't changed across the Bible. There's a consistency. In the, even in the midst of delay of the nations of judgment, uh, we see grace, we see God's provision of a nation to bring forth Messiah. We see final judgment or, or judgment in terms of our salvation on the cross, and then ultimately a final judgment. So all of that has to be brought together. None of it will say God is a party spirit. Uh, he's only picking in you know one side versus another. Uh, no, he is consistently no matter who it is, against human sin and depravity. Hmm. And, and in many ways, you have to also see that the, the judgment that comes upon that land, uh, Scripture will also speak about the land vomiting the people out. It's almost, it's a graphic image that the sin that they were committing so des destroyed ultimately their own society, their own families. I mean, you think of child sacrifice, what that would entail. Uh, it's almost as if God has to, you know, all the diseases and so on, to just to bring judgment and start afresh. Um, that's what he had to do in the flood, but uh, it's not as extreme. But that's going on as well, right? It's almost as if uh, it, they've so far gone that judgment now has to say enough is enough. Uh, and Israel is God's means by which that happens. Uh, and, and so on. So those are some areas I think that are crucial, keeping it all the way from who God is and his glory and his holiness, what sin is. Sin before God is utterly serious. We don't take it seriously enough. And all of these judgments, uh, the flood is in some sense far greater. I mean, it wipes everyone out, but there's the final judgment to come that uh, is then permanent, right? In some sense, these are temporary, uh, but that brings permanent judgment. Yeah, so as, as you're answering, I'm seeing people listening to this podcast going, I would love to be able to do that. When I read those two chapters in the morning, and I'm going, whoa, this is hard, yeah. and this is heavy. Yeah. And you just brought the whole storyline of Scripture to bear on that text. Where are we in God's storyline? Yeah. Where's the cross in view of this? How do we think of creation? So how would you encourage folks how can they get there where you just answered that question? How can they get to that place in their Bible reading where they're bringing all that to bear, you know? Well, first thing is to keep reading the Bible over and over again, right? Yeah. So, so the only way we can, uh, you know, think of, okay, Joshua and Judges is that we are consciously thinking, okay, 
what's preceded Joshua and Judges, right? So the whole of Genesis through Deuteronomy has preceded Joshua, right? So what we need to do is, is constantly be, as we are reading books, right, and reading specific texts in our Bible reading, always be asking the question, okay, I'm reading Joshua, I'm reading Judges, but what preceded Hmm. Joshua and Judges that I've already read, hopefully, right, if you're working through the Bible, to say this is sets you up, right? So if you're reading a book, uh, a mystery novel, and you've got 20 chapters, and you're in, and you start in chapter 5, but you forget chapter 1 and 4, it's not going to make sense, hmm. right? So as you start in Joshua Judges, that may be chapter 5, uh, but you uh, make sure that you are understanding it in light of mm -hmm. the previous. And then, of course... Joshua and Judges don't stand on their own. They keep moving us to the coming of Christ in the entire New Testament. So we're constantly, as we read any particular passage, always, we should say, what does this passage mean in its own context? But what preceded it hmm. and what ultimately comes after it? And that helps us as we read scripture to have a whole Bible in mind as we think about the specific text that we're reading. Yeah, so if someone is reading the Bible, if they're a young Christian and they're starting in their Bible reading, would you encourage them to start with Genesis? Or where would you encourage them to start their Bible reading to get there? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I, I could say it this way, you could start anywhere. Um, but if you're going to start anywhere, you have to realize that where you're starting is part of a whole Bible, mm -hmm. right? Now, ideally, eventually, at one point, um, say you, you're a new Christian, you want to start in the Gospel of John or, or so on. And that makes sense because you want to see who Jesus is and what he has done. And, of course, the New Testament gives you that mm -hmm. more. But you still have to remember God gave us Genesis to Revelation. And I need then to th think through and read uh, how that... Uh, scripture has come to us step by step by step because God's building his revelation. So the later prophets that are coming uh, are building on the earlier law of, of Genesis through Deuteronomy. The historical books are, are covering much of that period, particularly, you know, after Joshua Judges type of thing. So it's, you have to know where you are in, in the story uh, and, and deliberately, I mean, Genesis starts, you know, the Bible starts with Genesis uh, and it concludes with Revelation. That's not by accident. So eventually we can start anywhere, uh, but we still have to be aware it's a whole Bible. And ideally we need to, and that's why a yearly Bible reading is so helpful, is to start in Genesis and actually go through the way the Bible has been given to us. Mm, yeah. So another uh, question that, that's come up several times, especially among our youth and teens and I think people are going to run into it this month coming up in May when they hit 2 Samuel is the issue of polygamy and the issue where you have, for example, uh, King David, who's a man after God's own heart. And then we see him with multiple wives and then children by all these different yeah. wives. And so for someone today, how do you answer the question of the polygamy we see yeah. in the Old yeah. Testament? Yeah, and that's a it's a great question. The polygamy is is you know a real challenge. Um, you know, uh, in, in when you see this kind of behavior, right? Again, to answer that, similar to answering Joshua Judges Holy Wars, is you've got to again think of the whole Bible again, right? So, uh, the first thing we nail, you know, lay down in terms of Genesis uh, one and two, is that there's no. Uh, reason to think, and we are this is confirmed in later scripture, is that polygamy is the norm, right? So what the norm is is 
uh, a monogamous uh, man and woman coming together in marriage, and we have that described for us in Genesis mm-hmm. 2. That runs, that's the creation order, and so we have to see that uh, the creation order defines what is the norm, right? Uh, not a fallen order, right? And a fallen order, Genesis 3 on, brings all kinds of aberrations, and so when we think of Polygamy, it's tied to sexual activity and marriage relationships and so on, is that uh, you know divorce is seen as a result of the fall. That's not the ideal. Um, homosexuality is, is seen that way. But also polygamy is seen that way mm-hmm. as well. Now, polygamy is allowed. It's never um, in the Old Testament era, uh, in a fallen order, it, it's allowed, right? So some of the you know patriarchs and, and David, if you mentioned, and Solomon, uh, have multiple wives, but it's not the norm, hmm. right? And so even what they're doing is that which usually uh, in the text leads to disaster, right? There's never ever an example of a polygamous relationship that goes well, hmm. right? And, and so all of that's reinforcing, and, and some of that is tied to the kings, where the nations are doing this, they're making political alliances, it's not the norm. It's not endorsed. We would even say what they're doing is wrong, uh, but God allows it. And I think that's part of the Old Testament era is that it's a fallen order. It's looking to the new age. Creation is the norm, but uh, it clearly is presented as um, that which uh, will topple your house, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it's not presented and in fact, there it, it's quite possible that even in the law, we can make a case that it, it, it's not to be the norm, right? So, mm-hmm. so uh, that's not what should take place. I think the Song of Solomon comes, and the Song of Solomon is interpreted in a number of ways. Uh, but I would take it as first um, picking up creation order is that this is a celebration of, of a human marriage. It's monogamous. Uh, and that is the ideal. So even in the Old Testament, in this fallen world where some of these things are allowed, and there's other things that are allowed, right? I mean, you've got things with Esther, and you've got uh, issues there where, I mean, this is not a normal kind of thing. It's living under this fallen regimes and so on. But uh, the Song of Solomon says creation order is the norm. Uh, Monogamous marriage is the norm. And in the New Covenant, with the coming of Christ, there's no evidence that there any of this is allowed um, in the church because in the new covenant you have the reaffirmation of creation order again. Uh, the fallen order is now moving out of the way. You have a redeemed order. Now we're still sinners and we await the end. Mm-hmm. But in the coming of the new covenant, there's a greater expectation that what was originally designed in creation is now brought back. So I would say in the case of David and Solomon, it's it's allowed. It's not. The ideal, in some sense, what they're doing is wrong. Uh, yes, they're men after God's own heart. David repents uh, when he sins and this type of thing. But it's not. It's the it's an old. It's the older era. Not to say that you know it's an inferior era, but things get allowed just as with divorce and other things because of the hardness of heart. Mm-hmm. Yet with the coming of Christ, the progress of redemption, the creation standard is brought back again. So there's no justification for polygamy in terms of the New Covenant because of the order of creation. And it's always, always disaster in the Old Testament. And you see that over and over and over again. Yeah, one of the questions that a teen asked me recently was, I know this isn't the norm, and I know 
it's not right, but why doesn't God condemn it? Right. Explicitly right, 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 right. condemn it. I thought that was a thoughtful question yeah well i mean in some sense i mean the you know he has condemned it because it's not the norm i mean it's not that they're explicitly coming under a specific judgment for that Mm -hmm. but uh you know it seems to be that in the old covenant era uh, again this is not making it an inferior era but but god allows certain things to take place Hmm. that uh are part of you know that era that paul will speak about which is a kind of tutor that leads us to christ that it's it's and you have to make sure that when we think of redemptive history, um, especially in a post-fall world, some things are permitted that are not permitted in, in you know, the coming of Christ in the later eras type of thing. So, I mean, I think that's how you have to put it together. It's not yeah. the ideal. It's never presented positively. But there's a lot of things that David does. Now, he repents and God forgives him, but you see a man who... Uh, for the most part, uh, fails in, in the taking mm-hmm. care of his family, the raising of his kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are all lessons to learn, right? Yeah. These men are, are men who, who could not save you. You ultimately need a redeemer who will come who can save you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So those are some tricky texts of the Old <laughs> Testament, which is good. I think I... I'm really thankful people are asking those kind of questions, engaging God's Word and thinking through Well, they're, that. they're very important questions, yeah. and they're questions that also show up um, with non-Christians, right? Yeah, so exactly right. apologetics, uh, people in evangelism will say, what about all these passages? We have to be able to think of how these passages fit with the whole Bible and then make sense of them in their context and then in terms of the coming of Christ. Yeah, so let's, let's finish with, you've read through the Bible 20, 30 times yeah. and folks, some folks are reading through it for the first time. Some folks have read through it for a number of years. How do you personally keep from growing familiar as you keep reading through the Bible and you may come to passages and you think I've read this 30 times now. You know, how do you yeah. keep from it growing familiar to you as you read through God's word? Yeah, I mean, it easily could become just, uh, you know, something, oh, I got to get my Bible reading in today and it become just, you know, formulaic and, and almost a ritual type of thing. I mean, I think, I think the way that anything doesn't become familiar with us, whether it's you know, gathering with the people of God and hearing sermons on Sunday and, and, and reading scripture and so on is that we just have to constantly be reminding ourselves, this is God's word. Uh, this is my love letter that's given to me uh, from him to me. This is uh, how I come to know him and constantly thinking, you know, how it leads us to Christ, how the whole Bible fits together, that these parts um, working hard on making sense of how, why they're here, why they're given, and how it leads to my understanding of Christ better and the glory of his person and his work. Because much of the Old Testament is what we're really wrestling with here is that which is foundational to understand him, hmm. right? And keeping that in mind and walking with him and realizing that uh, uh, this is a gospel message that runs from beginning to end and keeping that gospel message in focus. We can't save ourselves only he can do so. Here's the lessons we learn. Mm. And I think also as we live through life, um, the Bible rings so true to life, mm. right? Yeah, even as we experience, I mean, even every year we live, right? In a marriage relationship and family relationship, we never, you, know, you can get bored, but I mean, there, there's newness that comes all the time. There's new experiences. And, and every time we read God's word in light of even current news and so on, we say, Wow, this is so true, right? And so mm-hmm. keeping it in, in, in mind of that as well. Yeah, that's really helpful. Well, thank you for being on this podcast. and uh, My delight. Yeah. <laughs>